0: You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was—I uh, had the blessing of going to France uh, with my sister and a couple of our friends. And I always have to laugh <laughs> every time I go to France because you know the Americans, when they go to France, they want French food. The French want Asian food, and the Asians want Mexican food. And I eat it all, so it's great, you know. But for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, for 10 days I was eating and eating and eating. I felt like Shamu, like the fatted calf, and I was very nervous getting back to step on the scale. So I got back, maybe some of you know this feeling, so I got back, I'm like, oh, this is not gonna be pretty. I step on the scale, lost two pounds. (laughs) Don't ever tell me miracles don't happen. Thank you, Jesus. You know, it, it's kind of this funny thing in life, right? We often want what we don't have, <laughs> whether it's French fruit or whatever, and, but it does kind of beg the question, right, what is gratitude? We're about to enter into a month dedicated to, well, gratitude. Anybody know by chance what does what the word Eucharist mean, Catholics? It means Thanksgiving, right? So that's what Eucharist means, it means Thanksgiving. So what does it mean to be grateful? I mean, think about it, the the person who has gratitude is really the wealthiest person in the world, because somebody who has the most wealth in the world, if they don't have gratitude, is actually the poorest, because somebody who has gratitude is grateful, wow, I mean, it's incredible because what they have right now, what they have right now is enough. For somebody who has gratitude, the smallest meal is a feast. <laughs> and for somebody who has gratitude, the world's worst day is an opportunity to grow in wisdom. They're humble this is horrible. All right, what do we got to learn? That's somebody who has gratitude. You know, 2012, uh, the bishop at the time sent me to Washington to uh, do further studies and so I spent several years writing uh, my dissertation. And when you write a dissertation, you have to meet uh, each week with a dissertation advisor. And I came from the south where everybody has southern hospitality. So I was trying to talk to this woman, like, hey, what's your, what's your favorite color? What's your name? Are you Sagittarius? Can I have a hug? <laughs> hey, she's like, okay, but of no thanks, right? But she was very much definitely not, um, how do I say, southern hospitality. Never once smiled in the years that I knew her. Didn't smile, which made me want to be friendly all the more, right? Which annoyed her all the more. So this went back, forth, back and forth, back and forth. Never smiled. Stony face the whole time. Now I'm getting irritated as time goes on. So at the very end of this time of writing this thing, you have to go before the whole faculty and defend your dissertation. So I did this. So there's the faculty, and I was kind of nervous. And here she is in the front row. Not one smile. She's just like making notes the whole time. Every now and then she'd be like (sighs) You know, I could feel this one bead of sweat coming down my forehead, right, the whole time. So at the very end, she said, Father Bradshaw, thank you very much. We invite you to go into the next room as we decide. Okay? I go to the next room, I'm thinking, Well, this is my last day. So I get in the next room, I open the door, there's a table, and on the table there's a cake, and on the cake is written, congratulations, Father Ben. She came in the room right after me, huge smile. She comes up and gives me a big bear hug and says, congratulations, Father Ben. And I'm like, let let me just check my pulse here. I thought they were going to have to break out the paddles clear, you know. But she had been playing this part for me for these years to make me better, to push me. She's just playing this part, she's not normally like that. She's trying to push me a little bit like a drill sergeant, right? And at that moment I was overwhelmed with gratitude after I had recovered myself that this woman had the moral character to push me and push me to get better and better. The reason I'm sharing this with you folks is because for many of us in our life, if you've, if you've gone through a trying time, I'm guessing you have, I think you would agree that often the best, most profound gratitude comes when we have gone through hell and back. Why? Because we appreciate it more. We appreciate it more. Not that we wish that on anybody. I certainly don't. But if you've gone through those times and you come through the desert, you're like, wow! Thank you, God. Thank you for the smallest things. This is the wealthiest person alive, man. You know, Saint Paul, he's writing to the church in Philippi. And this is what St. Paul says. He says, I've had everything and I've had nothing. But when I had nothing, (laughs) it made me appreciate having everything. And I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And he's sharing his gratitude, you know. It's like I'm grateful for the time when we were shipwrecked and I had nothing because now I appreciate it. And I love that gratitude in St. Paul. It's so beautiful. The, the, the person with gratitude understands that what they have right now is enough. This is enough. I may want this or that, but you know what? This is enough. The smallest meal's a feast. It's beef Wellington. It's lobster Thermidor. It's, it's the most I need. And the world's worst day is a learning opportunity. You almost can't teach that, you know? It's almost as if some people get that and other people don't. Have you ever known somebody that broods? They brood over a wound. They just won't let it go. 10, 20, 30 years, man, they just brood like a dog chasing its tail. They just go back to it and back to it and back to it and back to it. You know, it's an obvious point, folks, but you can't be happy that way. And somebody who broods and has resentment and woundedness, we're all wounded, we're all broken, but some people define their whole identity by that person or that event. That person's never going to be grateful, which means they can never be happy. Same with people that are spoiled. There's always something else, there's always something else, there's always something else. They get to the end of their life and like, My God, I miss so much and so many people because I was always looking there, but I never looked here, and that's what happens with people that brood. They're always licking the wounds from the past, and some people are always looking for the future. We have to have this. Goals are fine and learning from the past is fine, but when you're either there or there, where are you never? Honey, you with me? Gratitude. You know, Albert Schweitzer, the great philosopher, he's a Nobel laureate, he died in the year 1965, and this is one of the things Albert Schweitzer said. He's Christian and he said, you know, each one of us is born with a certain amount of light in us. But as time goes on, people lose a little bit of that light by woundedness and wounds and brokenness and bad decisions and shame and stress and worry. He said, it's as if it's stealing a little bit of our light, right? Until at a certain point, our light goes out. And he said, there's one way to get it back. (laughs) By being with other people and allowing other people to help us grow. This is why Jesus said you're the light of the world. Raise your hand, I'm just curious, uh, for those of you that are Catholic, raise your hand if you've ever come to the Easter Vigil Mass uh, before Easter. Anybody ever come to the Easter Vigil Mass? Okay, so most of us. So if you've ever come to the Easter Vigil Mass or if some of you were at the uh, Christmas Eve Mass last year when we lost power, right? You remember that we handed out candles to everybody, right? So at the Easter Vigil Mass and that Christmas Mass, everybody lit their candle from one big candle, the Easter candle. Because on Easter, this whole church is dark. And I walk in with the big Easter candle and I stand right here and everybody lights their candle. That's, that's kind of what Albert Schweitzer is talking about. Look, I'm going to be honest with you folks. You have a responsibility, okay, to help other people. It's not just Father Ben, right? You have a responsibility to be a light for the people in your life. You know how, you know the best way to do that? Get out of your head. Get out of your head. It's not about you. Many times in our own life we're just so self-absorbed by myopic, I'm guilty of it. Gratitude expands the optic. Wow. Thank you, God. Thank you for what you've given me, the people you've put in my life. I'll close with this. You know, um, I just want to tell you about a, a, a man I feel like I know pretty well because he's my dad. So, in, uh, my dad grew up in Whitehaven in Memphis, and in uh, August of 1968, my dad went to the local Marine Corps recruiting station and signed up to become a Marine, and uh, was sent to San Diego, did his training in San Diego. My dad grew up shooting guns, Uh, he's familiar with guns, so of course they sent him, plugged him into the artillery unit in the Marines, became a corporal in the Marines, So he had several men underneath him. One year, almost to the year to the date, in August of 1969, my dad was sent to Vietnam, the height of the Vietnam War. He was then stationed north of the city of Da Nang in Vietnam and they were on a hilltop one down and while he was on this hilltop he got malaria, bad, almost died. And so he's up on this hilltop, he recovered. This one night as they were kind of fading out, about to fall asleep, they came under very heavy gunfire. And in his own words, and I'm quoting my dad, he said, all I could do Ben, was hunker down with my M-16. So just then as they, were, they thought they might not make it, the F-4 jets and the B-52 bombers came in after they left dead silence. Total silence, powerful. That night, military records show 12 Marines died on that hilltop, 12 Marines. So my dad, who's, what, 19 at the time, comes back. Now the real battle begins. Now the real battle begins. Because those guys that came back from Vietnam, if you know anything about those guys, they fought two battles. They fought the battle of the culture that rejected them and uh, and lodged some vicious, horrible names at them. That's the first battle. But the biggest battle these guys fought, including my dad, is here. PTSD. My dad's very open talking about this, he went through 30 years of PTSD, 30 years going over what no, nobody should see, especially at that age. And this is why I'm sharing this story with you folks, because if you have ever spent time around veterans, these men and women appreciate, they have gratitude for two things, their country and the other men and women they served with. They will share things with other vets they'll never share with their spouse, their kids, their grandkids. At their funerals, we have funerals all the time of vets. We hear stories, their spouse will say, I, I was married to this man fifty years, I never heard this. Doesn't surprise me. <laughs> so he didn't want to burden you with it. But he'll tell other vets who know what it's like. They have gratitude. You know when my dad got back from Vietnam, you know the first thing he did when he got home? He re-enlisted. They wouldn't take him because he had malaria. But you know why he re-enlisted? He had gratitude for those men that he served with. Brothers and sisters, my point with all this is this. Gratitude is the greatest treasure, and gratitude often comes by way of suffering first, but it's worth it.